Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Grief is My Side Hustle, the podcast. This week, we're doing a couple of episodes specifically focused on fathers for Father's Day. Today, you're going to meet with my friend Alicia Reiner, who is an extraordinary woman. She's a force. She's going to talk to us about losing her father many years ago and what that's like carrying that loss every day and what it's been like for her over time. Thanks so much for being here. Please go to Apple Podcasts and rate us if you're listening. Give us five stars so that other people can find us. Welcome again. I hope you enjoy our conversation. I am your host, Megan Reardon-Darvis, and I am ecstatic to be here today with Alicia Reiner. You may know Alicia, you definitely know Alicia. She's been in all of the things, but you may know her best as Fig on Netflix, Orange is the New Black. If you were to see the video, you would recognize her face from all kinds of other things like How to Get Away with Murder, Broad City, Masters of Sex. Alicia is in, she knows this, one of my favorite movies that she produced and starred in. And Alicia, is your husband also in this movie with you in Egg? Yes. Um, It's an all-star cast. It also has Christina Hendricks and Anna Camp. And it's just a really... I'm going to call it this like dark and beautiful movie. What you may not know about Alicia is she is also an advocate for all the things that we care about. If you follow her on Instagram, you will see that not a day goes by that she isn't fighting the feminist fight, Mm -hmm. um, the anti-racist fight. She's out there singing and putting her voice and her um, professional expertise and her passion. I think I saw you on the Peloton for Cycle for Survival. It's just every day, every day you are giving your energy to another thing. Thank you so, so much for being here. Such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I know a little bit of your backstory because we have a little a little side friendship, but I want to know, I want you to be able to share with our listeners as someone who has carried loss over time, if you would just tell us a little bit about the loss that has marked your life and kind of how it's informed your choices and how you, how you have born with it. Sure. You know, it's very interesting doing this today because in three days, it will be the anniversary of my dad's death. And that is the day that Cycle Surfer for Survival happens to be on the day this year. Oh my God, I didn't know together. Holy Um, moly. What what anniversary is it? It's, you know, it's so, I I haven't counted, I guess. Stop counting. I I like to hear that that exists. I did. I I kind of don't want to know. I think that's the truth. Like, I don't want to think about it. It's bad enough that he's gone, you know, like it's bad enough that he's gone and every year sucks. I never know. I never know what it's going to feel like on the day. Mm -hmm. I never know if it's going to hit me on the day or a little bit before, a little bit after. Different years are so different this year is particularly bad. And it's been a long time. I was, I guess, 30 when he died. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's been, it's been a long time. And although I'm really young. Yes. I was just going to say, you're an actress. It was like last year. 33. And this year has been bad. I, and for me, what that looks like is it's not grief in the way you think it is. I think one of the biggest things 
I like to share about grief is it's not just the achy breaky, I miss you. Yeah. For me this year, it's my anxiety and sadness, just like untethered sadness and anxiety. And I, I have to say, I'm really joyful on a daily basis. Bless, bless, thank God, most days. And for the past month or so, which usually it's not such a big ramp up for the past month or so, I've been waking up with this like slight darkness Mm -hmm. that reminds me of the early days of like when you wake up and you realize, oh my God, they're gone. And because it's been so many years, it doesn't feel like that. It's just Oh, I'm really sad. Oh, anxiety is sort of my my brain's drug to get out of the sadness. It's interesting. Anxiety for me is my drug to try and get me out of the sadness. Yes. I work as as an IFS therapist, a parts therapist, which will mean something to our listeners, but essentially the the construct of it is that you are you have a bus of parts. And one of those parts is driving Mm. that you generally have a primary bus driver. And it sounds like your joyful part would be the one that sort of drives the bus me too, which is partly why it was so hard when my mom died. Cause I wasn't Mm. even sure joy was on the bus anymore, Mm -hmm. but it's interesting because the way that IFS therapists and the world of therapy look at that is that anxiety is almost like a smoke and mirrors driver, like, Mm. like a sleight of hand, like it's over here going, look over here, look over here (laughs) as this protective measure. It's actually a loving part that is trying Mm. to help you not have to Mm. tread towards that other thing that Mm. is infinitely more painful. And the tool of anxiety is so amazing because it will never stop. It is relentless. If you believe it, it says, oh my gosh, you need to balance your checkbook and you balance your checkbook. The lies, you know, and bless, bless. I've had so many years of therapy. Thank you, God. And like, (laughs) like I mind my mind really well. Like I watch the voices Yeah. I'm like, oh, isn't that interesting? And that's what I mean. Like, this year, I'm like, oh, look at the anxiety. It's yeah. trying to pull me from the sadness. And it's, it. I wake up and I'll be a little sad and then it'll go, okay, here are the problems we have to solve. And it's the drug of problem yeah. solving. And it's like, I'm going to throw up a fake problem up. By the way, <clears throat> anxiety means the problem is fake. Like yes. it's not authentic <laughs> yeah. anxiety. It's like, it can be anything from you've gained, you've gained so much weight, not, not true. You know, like my clothes all fit, but it will, it'll find the lie. It'll find that, but you're, but they're a little tight, you know? So you need to solve that. And I'll be like, okay, baby, I know that's not true. You can't tell me that. And then it'll go, Oh, oh, I have one. I have one, you know, and it'll find something. It'll just, it's like, relentless. It's like, yeah, a it's like get, you know, you, it'll find anything. It'll find anything to worry about and then try and solve the problem. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I love the fact that you're referencing that we sort of get to know these things in therapy. Cause I, that's sort of the gift. I think that therapy gives us is just co- not 
not that we fix everything, but that right. we come to under, understand our systems better yeah. so that when anxiety shows up, we know that it most likely is doing, it's the drug, it's doing the job of helping me not have to feel something. And it sounds like you're noticing the anxieties popping up. You're, you know, that you have an anniversary of your dad's yeah. death and that we can thread that needle and say, they are likely connected. What do you do for yourself with the anxiety? Like, do you have tools that you use to help? I sure do. No. I, I have so many tools. You know, I think recently I wake up with it. Yeah. So the minute I wake up, I meditate because it's like training my mind off of anxiety. So yeah, that is I, it. it's like practice, breathe, practice, not being in, in the anxiety. Honestly, a big thing after meditation is just not being alone. So first, first it's alone first. Okay. Find your center, breathe. And then it's go be with live and be of service to her as a mama, be fully present with her. That really helps get me out of the anxiety. If I'm fully present with her, I don't have time to be thinking about myself. Exactly what you've just described, which is using meditation, which is that activating, you know, multiple parts of your brain to allow your brain to feel more regulated. It sends the messages down into your body to be more regulated and you feel more relaxed and stable in your body. I think sometimes we listen, people say, oh, I meditate. And it sounds like we're on Oprah or something giving like a fake answer, but meditation, right. there's a reason it goes all the way back, you know, to like India and forever ago. Um, I'm gonna say, I, I want to share one little thing about meditation. I, for years, like before my daughter and before my dad died, I, I was a TM girl, transcendental yeah. meditation. And I, I was very good, quote unquote, you can't be good or bad about meditation, but that diligent. was my You were diligent. But during this anxiety time and during the pandemic, I picked up a meditation tool, which mm. is called Muse, which actually is the gamify meditation. And I only yes. share it because it, it brought me joy to gamify it. And they have so many guided meditations. Yeah. And for years I was like, Oh, guided meditations are for cheaters. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. not real meditation, like real meditation you do on your own. It has to be hard and you have to breathe and you have to free your mind from all thoughts and then you transcend and okay, maybe you get a mantra, but that's it. And it's, it's that like little, you were talking about who drives the bus, right? Mm. That I can hear the cruelty of that voice, right? Yeah. That like, that's Judgment. not real meditation. Judgment. Who drove my meditation bus. And I, over the pandemic started using this tool and they have guided meditations and they have hundreds of them. And I love it. Ah. I, when that anxiety is speaking, I need someone else to tell me to calm the fuck down and to help. Yeah. You're on it a hundred percent that, that the people who need the guided meditation are the ones whose amygdala, which is that part where your anxiety comes from in your limbic system, the little like nugget, the walnut in the back of your brain, when that is active, the, the other elements of sort of 
certainly transcendental meditation, but some of the ones that we think we are striving towards are almost impossible. Mm. And what's interesting for me about meditation is it's very similar to yoga. Like when people say they do yoga, the next question is what kind of yoga do you do? Because there's, you know, Ashtanga yoga, which is practically like running. It's, it's so athletic. And then there's yin yoga, which is what we do a lot in grief and loss, which is the deep fascia stretching where we believe a lot of the grief and loss is held in the tissue and the muscles around the bones. And so if you are headed into meditation anxious, it's really good to know that you might want to start with guided meditation. So I love that you're offering that to our listeners, because I do think anxiety is at an all-time high for people just in general, because that thing that you described with Liv, your daughter, is that lack of social interaction that most of us have had for over a year, you know, that regulates our system. That idea that you see someone, they smile at you, you tell a story, they laugh, they tell you that they like your shoes, they remember that it's your dad's anniversary and that you have, you're in an energetic space where you can share that regulates your five senses experience. There's such a deficit of that. Well, there's a theory of mind, which is that you have your activated side, your right side of your brain that activates you and the left side of your brain, your parasympathetic nervous system, which calms you down. But there's this third element, which is social interaction. And so teaching people, particularly in grief and loss, because you know what people like to do, they like to close the, I mean, certainly I did this. You like to go in your room and close the door and not see people. And I have to be honest that during this past month, I've felt like that in general, I don't want to talk to people. I don't want to talk to friends. I don't want to talk to work people. I don't want to talk to anyone. I just want to be alone. And it's, I think there's this fear of sliming them. I don't want to slime you with my big feelings. They're there. I'm, I'm scared of my big feelings and I don't want to slime you with them. So I'm going to stay over here till I can handle my my big feelings. And then I'll share them with you when I'm okay again. But, and it's sometimes you can hide on email, but I also, I don't even like to email people when I'm feeling icky because I feel like somehow they'll secretly know. (laughs) Right. And we've all kind of been burned, right? Like one of the chapters in not the memoir that I'm writing, but the psychoeducational book is about those elements that like when you've gone through profound loss and you are changed by it, it's sticky for a while and some friendships don't make it. And I think, you know, it's one thing to be so vulnerable in your own system. I've been on the receiving end of that when someone is really dysregulated about X, Y, and Z, you know, it can be overwhelming. And I think we do this odd dance around like defining friendship as someone who will always be there when really what you're describing is I got, I have to be careful about the boundaries. I don't want to, I don't want to go over someone's boundaries. And the problem is because it's all invisible, depending on what your makeup is, mine is a little codependent. So I, you know, I like other people to be happy before I'm happy. If you don't know where the boundary line is, you can end up taking your sort of isolation aloneness into a place that doubles down on your own pain, even as sort of a quote unquote expert in this field, it's really hard to find the right spot with it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes so much sense. So you're describing it's been 
anxiety provoking and you know that to sort of be a distraction, you referenced that that felt a bit like the beginning, the early days. Is that what, what your, when your dad died, did you, were you primarily anxious? No, I think in the, I mean, I don't, there's also a part of me that I actually, speaking of therapy, I did do EMDR that time. So there's a part of me that's like, Oh, what was it like? I don't remember, you know, Can I pause for a second and just tell our listeners yeah. that EMDR stands for eye movement and desensitization and reprocessing. And it's a technique where either a light bar or a hand or some sort of bilateral stimulation is brought to the body, to the system. And it allows you to process your intense trauma memories across your body instead of like orange juice concentrate in one place. And it gives real relief. It was so critical um, to me getting some of the traumatic memories of my mom's death out of my system. And you don't lose your memories. You just don't have them at the same intensity. Does that sound like a good description to you? Perfect. Like that's, that's exactly my truth. So I will say, so just to, to back up a little bit, my dad was... 55, the, the picture of health story short, he had had prostate cancer like five years before, but it was supposedly in full remission and fully recovered. And his PSA numbers were great. And what they now think is that one little cell mutated spread, spread under the radar and it and spread all over. And by the time they found it, it was too late. He was the picture of health and he had come to visit me in LA. I was doing a play. He had a backache when he came mm-hmm. and he, and I like brought him to a massage therapist, you know, I was like, sure, no problem. Yeah. And then he came back home and there was a little bit of, I think there was fear of expressing it to me, but on the part of his family, like his brothers and sisters, because I was doing this play and, and it was like maybe a week that he was not even maybe three or four days. He was in the hospital before the play closed and I flew home immediately. My memory was like 10 days and I pretty much. God, that's so lived- yeah, lived in the hospital, slept over many times, and he was gone. I'm looking at pictures of him right now, and he was just the most vibrant human, like Ugh. so deeply full of life, so deeply dedicated to growth. That's one of my Ugh. favorite, favorite things about him is he was all about growing and evolving as a human and fully acknowledged all of his foibles. But he was like, I just want to keep growing. He was a management consultant. He started life as a, as a therapist and then went into management oh, wow. consulting, specifically corporate psychology and organizational yeah. psychology and team building and was super successful at that. And then always really a part of him wanted to be an actor and a producer. So I think I act and produce in, in his honor, specifically mm-hmm. producing like I always wanted to be an actor, but I think I produce in his honor and such a yeah. gorgeous legacy. That's a, I mean, every, because I know you that like the, the description of your dad, when you're saying he's a lifelong learner and wants to grow. I mean, I just feel like you embody that mm-hmm. yourself. Yeah. Anybody who sees a portion of your life, I think can acknowledge, you know, even in, in something as simple as your acting, there are 
I can't think of a single piece that I have seen you in that didn't have some complicated emotional growth piece to it, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> Even Broad City. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I love hearing the description of your dad and the love in your voice when you are describing him right now, as you, as you grew from that 30 year old Mm -hmm. woman to where you are right now, how do you hold either the grief and loss or sort of that phrase, which I have complicated relationship with, which is a traumatic growth, right? Like the incorporating the trauma into your life, but still Grieving forward. I love your expression, grieving forward. And I will say my uh, childhood friend, Alison Gilbert, who has written a lot about grief has really, one of the things she really talks about is the importance of talking about it and, and keeping their memory alive, either with ritual or memory or, and for me, since before Liv was born, but definitely since she was born, like she knows grandpa Chucky. She feels like she knows him. There are pictures of him everywhere. We talk about him all the time. If she were being interviewed for this right now and you, and we said, how does grandpa Chucky show up in your life? Mm. She'd say in music, like grandpa Chucky always shows up in music. She knows the stories of before her being born, but she's experienced it of like, when we were in the hospital, we always said, we were like, and as soon as you get better, we're all going to go to Paris and you didn't get better. So we went to Paris, David and I went to Paris, I guess, whatever fall after that, we went to a jazz club in Paris. And like the minute we walked and they changed the music to his favorite song, you know, and the song that we were playing in the hospital. Um, and for the whole first year, we'd like walk into a Starbucks or walk into a club. Mm-hmm. Everywhere we went, every restaurant, every the music would change from like hard rock or folk or whatever to it was yes. always Frank Sinatra, Tony Bennett, Diana. A crawl always like that was just it just happened all the time and everywhere he's definitely very much in our world and for years <laughs> wished I could dream about him for years and now I feel like I almost can you know and I feel interestingly enough like I can access him more than I ever can. So that's the great news of long-term grief. Personally, (laughs) just from me to you, I I am so grateful because that's a question I ask everyone. I had one dream about my dad after he died and it was a goodbye dream. And I write about it in the memoir. I had one dream that I can't, I mean, I can't even go back to the writing because it's so visceral. And it, it was a similar dream with my mom where like we realized she had died and we say goodbye to each other. And it's just devastating. Even that mysticism of the, of the music changing. I love to ask this question mostly because I want to borrow someone else's idea. Cause I don't think I'm there yet. I don't think I'm far enough into carrying my grief to know where I'm going to land on this. But, you know, there are people like my mom was one when my dad died, who was like, I talk to your father every day. He's sending me signs, you know, there, I know how he feels about these things. 
And I know other folks who have entire conversations. There's a, there's a grief theory called continuing bonds, which is mm-hmm. sort of like this, which is where you incorporate that their living life and when that ends, and then you have a relationship with their memory and you kind of have to figure out how to the, have the relationship. Even my dad, who's been dead two years longer than my mom, one of the big heartbreaks for me is that they're dead. I don't have a concept of heaven. I did catch myself walk past a picture of my mom the other day and say like, Hey lady, cause that's what I used to call <laughs> her. But I don't know that I was talking to her. I can call in my kind of thinking mind. I will be able to um, imagine how she might respond. My kids and I have been watching this Netflix documentary about the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum's heist. And my mom was obsessed with that because we lived in Boston at the time. And it's just an extraordinary story. And so I really, I was like weeping because I could hear her telling me about this video over the phone, but more that's like making a movie in my head. It's not, it's not being with the essence of her. And we're in the process of selling my parents' house. It won't be ours very soon. And part of the new grief that I carry with that, which is really tough, has nothing to do with the house. It has to do with that's where she is in my mind. I have her in her chaise lounge, which by the way, I threw away when I was there. So it's not as though I really, you know, believe these things are happening, but I'm curious about that for you. Is your dad an active presence in your mind? Was he ever, or do you, do you think about him more sort of symbolically in the energy of the memories when Diana Krall comes on or Frank Sinatra? I remember the fresh grief of the stuff and the place and there's, it's so fucking brutal. And, and I also, there are things that I have that Liv has, that my dad has, that Liv, David has of my dad's that really connect us. But letting go of so much of the stuff and the place was really painful. He was not ready to die. And on, and financially, he was so not ready to die. Oh, and he had wow. to sell so much just to pay the taxes. We just had to sell and sell quickly and sell everything. Brutal. So there was no estate planning because he just wasn't, he wasn't planning. So young. Yeah. Yeah. So note to self, like our, we have, we're deeply estate planned, even though we're so young because we learned that. And I was the executive to be so young and be the executrix. The truth of it was my husband did a lot of it with me and he did a lot of the paperworky stuff that I just couldn't drag myself to the desk to do on Sunday. So I just, to this day, you know, when I think of him, I think of the Berkshires and we haven't been up there and I've been craving going up there and it hurts to go up there. You know, I have amazing memories of him in Fire Island where I spend a lot of time, but it's it wasn't like his place. I'm not flooded with memory, which yeah. I feel in the Berkshires I am. Even in New York City, like I, I'm realizing part of what happens is you get acclimated, right? So in New York City, I have so many memories of him, but I have so many memories in general of become acclimated. Same with yeah. Fire Island. The Berkshires has stayed almost pristine since he died. I've only been there a couple times since he died. So it's so 
full of only memory. If it, you know, yeah, it's like, I get it. It's not uh, diluted in any way. It's exactly. Yeah. And in reference to connecting with him, I will say it's funny. So yesterday I woke up at like five 30, couldn't sleep. The anxiety was strong did some, did a little bit of meditation and then went downstairs and started picking up my tools. Like, so I have lots of tools. One of them is listening to podcasts that bring me joy that like, you know, inspire me. One is writing. And I did something I don't think I've ever done before. And this is so funny that I did it yesterday, but this is where I'm at right now with his anniversary on Saturday. I wrote in my journal and I do this sort of with a God or higher, whatever, sometimes yeah. I wrote, daddy, what do you want to tell me today? Mm. And I don't think I've ever done that before. And <laughs> it was so his voice. He said, you're doing great, puppy. <laughs> <laughs> he used to always call me everybody. Oh. He said, you're doing great, puppy. You have such a cheering section up here. And then he was really specific. And he said, basically, the things that I was having anxiety about, he was like, let go of that bullshit and let go of that bullshit. It's all working out for you. You don't have to do anything. He got a little bit more specific. And he said, and it's so funny, my handwriting is very, it was very like stream of consciousness. Yeah. And the rest will take care of itself. It always does. And that was, that was that. And it made me feel so much better. God, that's so interesting that that just happened. Yeah. And, you know, I don't, I I say this pretty openly to everybody that I don't, I don't know anything. I was raised with religion. I have a lot of spirituality. I don't know anything, but I really believe Mm. that when you feel those things, they're real. I can't explain them, but when I feel them, I know they're real. And it's just so interesting that, that you gave that answer because it's your answer, but it lands it. When I ask this question, I'm really aware that I'm not asking it as a therapist. I'm not asking it as a podcast host. I'm really asking it as like a daughter who lost her parents and your answer. I can feel it in my body which is that like, you know, the way that I'm translating it is when you need the voice that's there, maybe that's part of the, the progression for me Mm. is that letting myself, you know, as I move forward in grief, grieve forward, that maybe the pain as that lessons will allow me to need them or want them in different ways that I just haven't found yet. So that gives me a little bit of hope, which wasn't maybe your intention, but I'm really grateful for it. No, I'm, I'm super grateful for it. And it, it really is for me, you know, I, I remember being so angry that in the, in the early years Yeah, and it was years. I couldn't connect to him. I like so wanted a dream or I assign like I I remember that even even with all the the music, I was like, but I want you. I yeah. want you I don't want to Frank Sinatra. <laughs> I don't yeah. want Frank Sinatra. I want you. I want your arms. I want to see the hairs on your arms. I remember being like, oh. I just want to see, I want to feel the hair on his arms. I just want to feel his hug. Yeah. And get that. I can, believe me saying it now, I can feel that way right yeah. now again. Yeah. But most of the time I just see him. It's like, 
it's dispersed more. It really has, it's more diffused. And I see, I hear him in music. I see him places. I see him in uh, a bird or, a, you know, like mm-hmm. the weirdest things. And I see him in live. Yeah. I, I definitely see him in live sometimes. Yeah. There is something about that parenting component of having lost a parent and being a parent that does this odd dance about seeing your parents in your children and also realizing that the legacy of how they love you is they're going to stand in the shoes of being most likely being the griever at some point in their own lives. Kelly Corrigan, who's one of my favorite writers, wrote this beautiful in the end pages of her book, tell me more. And, you know, in summary, it's basically, she's describing after her dad, who she calls greenie dies, pulling over on the side of the road and just being overcome with grief. And as a side note, lots of people cry in their car or the shower. So I just love that she writes about that. But, and then she says, I, I have this moment where like, I'm thinking I'm over 50 years old. If my daughter is 50 and pulls over to the side of the road in absolute abject, desolation that she has lost me, then we have done something right. Love and hopefulness of just because it's pain. It's not only pain. It's something that I think, you know, my hope for grievers in this conversation in having conversations with you and others is to just let people know, you know, it is as devastating, as awful, as life altering as it feels. And through it. We learn to carry it. We grow the muscles and it hopefully informs us just like all the good and the bad informs us that we move forward. And I'll also say, I, I sometimes it feels sacrilege to say this, and I don't think I've ever said it out loud in public in this way, but his death was one of the best things that ever happened. Mm his death and when I found out I had a tumor at 19 are two of those like horrific things that happened that were the best thing that ever happened to me because Mm. in both cases they clarified my true north and what's important and being true to myself and following my like all of those cheesy mm-hmm. expressions that I feel like as they're coming out of my mouth, but they're all fucking true. They're so true. And, so and I do true. feel like this pandemic is another thing. And it's funny because it was like 19 and then 30. And then now of these, like, you know, every decade or so there's this like massive shakeup of my soul of like, who am I? What, what do I want to be in this world? Who do I want to be? How do I want to serve? You know, for me in this moment, it's been very, oh, wow, I like me. You know, there's been a mm. little bit of like, oh, oh, okay. We're, we're, we're I'm not so far from two north. It's not like, oh, time for a big change. It's like, oh, we're okay. Well, I love what you just said. I mean, I, I, And again, I don't know how it lands with the rest of the world, but I feel like those of us that speak, you know, the native Portuguese of grief understand that like, it is the best thing that ever happened to you. Because what I said to my husband, I still say it to him is my parents' death is like the realest thing that's ever happened to me in my life. Meaning like I am so zeroed in on 
the things that actually matter to me and the, and like white noise of the bullshit stuff that can be distracting. It has zero power. And so, you know, there's some aftershocks with that, which is some relationships and friendships or, you know, cocktail parties, things that I would have been like, yeah, I can rally for that. I can't rally because I think I broke that bone or something like that. And so it's this real thing for you. It stays broken. I, I can't imagine that it's not going to the interesting thing. I think I told you that we went across the country, you know, ostensibly the, the the sort of shadow story is like, Oh, you know, the kids are going to be out of school. Let's do something for the family. But in my real truth, like that was me continuing to grieve. I could not sit still. I just couldn't like, I was still in what I would say early grief and being distracted by the national parks and the vastness of the planet. Um, Particularly also with like reflecting on the election and what politics felt like at that time. I just, I needed to be in the badlands. Like I needed to see the Grand Canyon. I needed to be small in the bigness of the world. And that has not gone away. And don't know that that's going to go away. So I have as much anxiety as everybody else about what it's going to be like when we go out there back into the world. But I feel like my compass is, is landed on true North. And I don't know, kind of like learning that you're allergic to onions or something. Like I just sort of feel like I'm going to be able to smell it before Mm. it's too close. I mean, I hope, but I, but that has been what has felt like I have had very concrete, like nose that never, that I would have, that I would have waffled over in the past. Are you going to wait and see how the anniversary shows up for you in the morning? Do you have plans? I'm going to be getting on a bike and and because you have cycle for survival for him and biking. I've lost some people to cancer this year as well. And, um, and then biking for my friends. I have some amazing friends who are thriving with cancer right now. Um, and, and what an extraordinary event to be doing in such a weird way. I've done cycle for survival in the past. And I think of it as this giant circus at the equinox that's near me. And I know that everybody's getting on their bikes in their, you know, their Peloton bikes in their houses yeah. and yeah. still, you know, raising money for an incredible cause. Well, I will be thinking about you and no doubt sending you love on that anniversary. And what I know about the anniversaries, at least in my experience is sometimes they show up really weird. Like sometimes the night before I'm bereft or two days later, but you know, it's kind of in and around and it sounds like you've been anticipating it. Your system has been. I've yeah. I've learned not to expect anything. The thing that I'm cultivating right now in a deeper place that's come during this COVID time that feels new is this deeper, I have to say, I've always hated the expression inner child. I hate it. It's so gross, like inner child work, my God. And my truth during this time is that creating space for that little girl who misses her daddy and creating space for that little girl who is sad or anxious and whenever any of those big feelings come up because again it's magical to me like we didn't talk about this at all but I had a I had a tricky childhood and in my teens I really experienced a lot of depression and anxiety Mm -hmm. and then 
sort of learn this massive toolkit to not feel that every day. And I don't feel it every day. Mm. Um, so when I go back, it's so scary. It gets yeah. it scares the daylights out of me. This past month has been so scary because I'm like, oh my God, is this going to be here forever? Which, you know, then <laughs> up the anxiety, like, am I going to never be me again? Like the happy me. And when those feelings come up, babying that little girl, like yeah. just comforting her and being like, just pretending she's living. I love her no matter what she mm-hmm. feels and all feelings are okay. It feels so counterintuitive, but my truth is when I love that little girl who's sad or angry or anxious, they pass. So gorgeous. It feels so wrong. It feels like, oh no, no, no. If you let her feel the feelings, then they'll stay forever. And so you have to push them away with the anxiety or push them away with getting shit done or whatever. For some people it's food, for some people it's alcohol, whatever your exercise. Like there's, if for me, there's always a double-edged sword on any activity of, am I doing it to not feel or am I doing it to lovingly lift my mood? You know, like that's that in interesting thing. And usually I have to start with the acceptance of like, okay, baby, I hear that you're having big feelings. It's okay that you're having big feelings. I'm not going to try and make you not feel your feelings. And let's see what tool would feel good to you. What, you know, like yesterday, it was that writing thing that I'd never done before. Yeah. I mean that there's something so extraordinarily like loving and corrective experience describing. And what it's bringing up for me is that when I had my daughter, Lucy, who's now 13 Mm -hmm. early on in having her, she's probably like 18 months, both my mother and my sister in separate times said the equivalent of you're kind of easier to be around as a mom than you were before. Mm. And I really think that having an actual child in front of me helped me envision, like in my office, I have a picture of myself at four so that I can just like picture my inner child. And when I'm doing inner child work with clients, but having an actual child in Mm. front of me and understanding that like, they need to have all the big feelings. They're going to have them, whether I stop them or not, that really the best thing that I can do is sit with them so that they feel, as we talked about, just like the regulation of someone else's energy that I felt, I think I thought I was doing it for them, but I have much more trust in my own system. I trust my grown up to show up for my kid and for my kid to tell the truth to the grown up. Yeah since I've kind of felt what it's like to be the caretaker of a child. So it's so, it's just a beautiful description of. And it's, it's funny. I, I like, this feels so deeply crazy, vulnerable to say this, like to you. And then this group of humans who will be listening. But the thing that came up to me as you were just speaking is because I think I did sort of, as you were speaking, I was like, okay, so what does your inner child have to say right now? Mm. Like, you're not letting me feel. You're not like, you're not letting me feel like you're not doing it. Like, I just you're got not chills all over my body. I just got <laughs> all not, kinds you're of not, you're, you're talking about this with these people, but you're not actually doing it. 
Like, let me feel my feelings, please. Let me just feel my feelings. It'll pass, but you gotta let me feel my feelings, please. So there's my lesson for the day. Oh my God. That's, I really do have chills all over my body. And and actually specifically, it's like, stop judging my feelings. That's really what it is. Stop judging my feelings. I'm going to be, I want to loop back with you, you know, off air to learn where that takes you. It was bouncy for my husband and I, when my dad died, I was doing a really good job of showing up for my kids, but I I needed him to show up differently. And thankfully he learned how to show up in a different way. Cause I really needed it when my mom died, but the sentence I just needed him to say to me is, is there anything I need to know about your feelings today? Because it invited me to that down right now. Right? <laughs> like, what do I, I use it with the kids. Like, Hey guys, anything I need to know about feelings today? Just like stopping, taking a breath in the moment and asking, Mm-hmm. even my daughter sometimes, you know, more her than the, than the guys. Cause they're littler, but my littlest guy will do this too. He'll say, well, I know I'm having these feelings, but I don't know why. Mm-hmm. And if you know what, that's enough. Maybe, oh. it, maybe they'll tell you, maybe they'll yeah. pass. I love but, that so much. And yeah. a lot of times it's interesting. I, with my husband will like preempt that. I'll be like, so I just, I'm going to take my emotional temperature right now. So you know. <laughs> dealing with like I'll I'll sort of solve yeah. my problem for me so that I'm I don't have unrealistic expectation of him but that's kind of awesome to teach him that yeah, I do a lot of the you know the meditation and the taking my own temperature I think it's that social bearing witness oh. I need someone else to bear witness and invite me to yeah. a place that I'm a lot of talk, you know, I'm a trauma therapist. I'm an expert. I'm a lot of talk. Like I do not walk this walk all the time, partly because <laughs> it's hard and I have life. Yeah. And, you know, so that is another thing that I would just say about the loss of my parents, that it was, it was really hard with my husband because he had a lot of his own feelings about my dad dying when my dad died. You know, he really liked my dad. He probably liked my dad more than I liked. I loved my dad. I think my husband liked him more and he was not able to be present because there was a lot of work going on for him or he chose not to. It's hard to know exactly how that shook out. And it was the absolute opposite. You know, he was the one who found my mom when she died. And so even in that, there's sort of a corrective experience, but I don't want to be alone in it. I don't want to do it myself. I want him to ask me to slow me down and to encourage me. That's going on a sticky note. Is there any go girl? That's our gift for today. today. Um, I love it. Good. I cannot tell you this conversation was so rich. I feel like I just went to therapy so thank you <laughs> so much. There's so much that you gave our listeners. This was really generous of you. It was thank such a, I just adore you. This was just a beautiful conversation. Thanks again for being here for this really special episode with Alicia Reiner. Please go to the show notes. If you want to learn more about her, please go and read us on Apple podcasts And for those of you who've written in and asked, thank you so much. The music was written by my brother, Brendan Reardon, who is an extraordinary guitar talent and generous brother who creates tracks for his sister when she asks. Take care, everybody.